Does God like it when we come to worship? It depends. Let's read what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter one, verses one through four, and then I'll just continue on through 11 through 20. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah said to the people of Judah, the Lord is grieved by your worship. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Now these were all things that God said was to be part of their worship. So why was it that even though they did what God said in worship, he wasn't pleased with that? The prophet continues, your incense that you burn to me is detestable. New moons, so they had sacrifices in a worship service at every new moon. Sabbaths, 
okay? The Sabbath, they had a worship service there. Convocations, these were special meetings and prayer meetings gathered for specific reasons. God said, my soul hates them. So why was it that even though these people who worshiped Yahweh and they went to their times of worship and they did and worshiped the things they were supposed to do, why is it that God couldn't stand to their worship? Why is it that he wouldn't even listen to their prayers? He hated their worship because even though they did the things of worship, their hearts were far from him. Their attitude was God was revealed not by what they did in the worship service, but how they lived their lives outside of worship. When God told them that he hated their worship, these are the reasons he cited as to why. Verse 15, their hands were full of blood. Yes, their hands were full of the blood of sacrifices, but they are also guilty of abusing the innocent. Secondly, they were doing wrong. They violated God's commandments and they were not keeping uh, God's law or living a life attuned to his holy nature. Thirdly, they exploited and treated poorly the poor. The poor, he said, were denied justice in the courts. So back in those days, you could hire an attorney to come with you to appear before the judge. And the attorney could arrange for some money to be slipped to the judge so that you got a favorable verdict. The poor did not truly receive the same justice in the courts as the wealthy. Furthermore, the poor had trouble even putting food on the table, and so they would borrow money so that they could buy food. But then when they couldn't repay the debt, their little farm or their house was foreclosed upon, and so the rich just grew wealthier at the expense of the poor. Now, not only did God condemn them for the things they did, but it's for the things they did not do. He says, you do not defend the helpless. And then God brings up the example of the widow and the orphan. In that society, women did not work outside of the home. And so if her husband died, she had no means of support. Maybe her husband's father would take her in if he was alive. Maybe she could go back to her father and her family, but if she did not, then she literally became destitute and her children as well. And God commanded the religious community to take care of the widow and the orphan. In their culture, they were not doing that, even though God commanded it. And it's not because they did not have the means, it's because they were greedy and hard of heart. So with this as their lifestyle, God said, when you come before me, you basically trample my courts. That's like having a bunch of partiers come to your house and they trample and trash your house and your lawn. 
And then he said, stop bringing to me meaningless offerings. All the offerings meant something. Some of the offerings meant, Lord, I've sinned, I want your forgiveness. Some of the offerings were thank offerings. Lord, I am grateful to you. Some of the offerings were, uh, were offerings of devotion. Lord, I'm devoted to you. But if they really weren't loving God, weren't really sorry for their sins, really weren't devoted to him, that made all their offerings meaningless. Basically, God was saying, the things you do in worship are meaningless because you do not love me and you're not faithful to me. Your life outside of worship is characterized by dismissing me. They knew God was holy, but they dismissed it. They knew God's law, but they dismissed it. Now, in verse two, God identifies the spiritual root of why they lived the way they did. In verse two, God says, I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. So God paints a picture of a family, and children are raised in that family. They are raised by good parents who nurture them, teach them the right way to live, give them everything they need to prosper, and yet they rebel against their parents for no reason except I want to do things my way. The children of Israel knew God was their father. They knew what he wanted them to do. And they said to themselves, I don't care what my father says. I'm going to do what I want. And then in verse 3, God cites their lack of understanding. And he uses an example of two dumb animals to make his point. He uses an example of the ox and the donkey. And he says, they know who their masters are. And they do what their masters say. But you don't. Implication, the ox and the donkey have more understanding than you. Now, this is what they did in Judah, in Jerusalem during that period of time. But we have to ask ourselves, do we do some of the same things? Are we doing things we know the Lord does not want us to do, but we're doing them anyway? Are we dismissing his holiness, dismissing what he says in his word? Our worship is supposed to express to God our love, our adoration, our devotion. It's to acknowledge that he knows best, that he's worthy of our worship, that he is holy. All the words of our songs do those things. But if our hearts don't match, then God says, your worship is meaningless. But notice, though this is what God's people did, 
God doesn't abandon them. God doesn't stop pleading with them. God doesn't ignore them. He just says, come back. He says, wash and make yourselves clean. And, and, and this is an invitation to come near. God will wash them, but they have to come. And it's a washing by coming to the Lord in repentance and saying, Lord, I want to be clean. He continues in verse 16, take your evil deeds from my sight and stop doing wrong. And this is an exhortation to stop committing sins. And even if your sin is a habit, it's become a, a, a way of life, the Lord's saying, you can stop doing it. And after telling them to stop doing certain things, he says, start doing these things. Learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Basically, God's saying, holiness, righteousness, justice, is just not personal behavior. It includes loving the broader community. You know, I've grown up an evangelical my, my whole life. And I've always thought, hey, holiness, and right living meant sexual purity and integrity, and I've tried to live those out in my life. But the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize it isn't just about my personal behavior. It's about being concerned for the poor, and the oppressed, and those who struggle. Our people who work at Washington Elementary, they're doing that. Those who give generously so that we can help the poor, they're doing that. An attorney who might take cases pro bono is doing that. A doctor or medical person who spends part of their time or does uh, something on the side to help someone who can't afford it, they do that. But part of our righteousness is being good to all. Now after God tells them what he wants them to do, in verse 18 he says, come now, let's reason together. This is not an invitation for us to debate things among ourselves. This is not an invitation for us to debate things with God. It's an invitation to talk with God. And he actually appeals to their reason. He wants them to consider the consequences of living rightly or living rightly. So here's a holy God. He's a loving father. He's been spurned by his children. He's been defied. And yet God sang to his sons and his daughters, I love you. Can we come and talk? And then he says, here's the words I have for you. Even if your skins are as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And even if they've been as crimson, I will make you white as wool. Regardless of what you've done in the past, regardless how far you have strayed, God promises forgiveness 
for those who come to him with a contrite heart. Now, this is an extreme example. We're a mixture of, of, of good and, and sin. Our sins aren't like crimson. But if they were, there's still forgiveness for you. This is a, an invitation that God can forgive and will forgive all. And then in verse 19, he makes a further promise. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat of the best of the land. And so this is a promise that blessings will come. But God says you have to be willing. Now sometimes we think of willing as, oh, I want to. But willing is more than that. Willing is doing what's good and true and right, even if you don't feel like it. Let me use the example of diet and exercise. I was a cross-country runner, and then after college, I played basketball and volleyball. And, but as time went on, um, had a few injuries, so I couldn't play those sports anymore, and ended up having four kids, and I was pastoring a large church, and well, and, and, and then my exercise had to just turn into exercises, and well, I just didn't like it, and I didn't do it because eh, don't have the time, don't want to do it. And then when I was younger, I was used to eating whatever I wanted, but then I'm 50 years old and I'm still eating whatever I wanted. And the doctor would say, hey, you got to watch your diet. You got to start doing exercises. And you know what? I just didn't want to do it. I wasn't willing. But on the other hand, you know, my wife's a a nutritionist, right? So I know what's good and right. And finally, I just decided, I don't really feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I made an appointment with an exercise coach because I do keep my appointments and I started working out with him. And and, uh, someone told me, hey, just start with carbs eat fewer carbs, and so I started to eat fewer carbs, and not because I wanted. I wasn't even willing, but I knew what was good and true, and so I did it. And after a while, I started to feel better. After a while, I started to lose weight. After a while, the doctor says, wow, your blood sugar is down, and your, your triglycerides are down, and Now it's part of what I do. Now I'm willing. But I didn't start out that way. I just said I'm going to do what is true and good. When you start to do what is true and good, then willingness comes. Now, when we come to worship with a heart that's willing to be different, this is the kind of worship that pleases God. 
Outward formalism doesn't please him. Mouthing words from a hymnal or words from a screen doesn't please him. It's a heart that pleases him. Not a perfect heart that says, I have it all together, but a contrite heart that says, Lord, I want your mercy. I need your mercy. I repent of my sins. And because I'm grateful for what you have done for me in Christ, I will love you and I will serve you. That's a willing heart. We want to be loved, do we not? The heart that's authentic and real. A card from someone on Valentine's Day that has some nice words on it, but it comes from a person who ignores you or rejects you or is not faithful to you is no blessing at all. We want to be authentically loved. And so does God. And that is why our worship, our words, and what we write on the screen have to match our hearts. That being said, no one comes to the Lord completely righteous. In fact, if you think you are completely righteous, you'll never have a heart that desires to worship. We all sin. But God has made a way for us, for our sins to be removed, and he has made atonement for us at the cross. Right worship is not offered by those who think they are righteous or by those who think they are perfect. It is offered by those who love God and treasure his mercy because they know that because of his love, and mercy in Christ. They have been forgiven of everything. Such people live out of a love for God. And they know that if they should slip and soil themselves, the Father always tells them, come on back, we'll talk. And even if your sins are like scarlet, remember, I've made you as white as snow. Come, the Lord says, let's talk. Because even if your sins are like scarlet, I will make you white as snow. Let's talk. Let's talk to the Lord. Father in heaven, we come to you. You invite us to come and to talk. So we're going to talk to you about our lives. We're going to talk to you about our worship. We're going to talk to you about our struggles. And we come knowing you will not meet us with wrath but with a promise of mercy. And so we come. This is our time to have a conversation with you.
Will you cleanse us, Lord? Will you wash us? Will you clothe us in clothes shiny white? And now, Lord, give us a heart that is grateful, a heart that loves you. And we pray that your love will flow out of our hearts, that that love would inspire and inform our living. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.